The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Open up your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 3. We'll be in verses 14 and 15. At Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the fields. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel." Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. He's able, which means no matter how deep you are in sin, no matter how long you've been in sin, no matter how dark that sin is, he is able. Don't, don't tell me he can't. I will fight you. <laughs> he is able. He is able to save to the uttermost, which means the salvation that we have in him is ultimate. When's the last time you used uttermost in a sentence? We're, I'm thankful that we've saved that word. Literally is gone. Dad, he literally didn't sleep for two weeks. Uh, no, that, you're not using that word right. But uttermost, we don't, we don't use it that often because it is ultimate. So Jesus Christ is able, no matter how deep, dark, long your sin, to save to the uttermost, full, complete, clean, Holy, forgiven, forever, uttermost. Is there anything more than uttermost? He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. I wanted to begin with that because we're going to talk about a lot. We're going to go fast. And if you get disoriented, like my, my wife sometimes gets car sick, Everybody gives her advice. Look at that. Breathe in. Breathe out. Whatever. It doesn't work. If you get disoriented, we're moving too fast. Just remember this. Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. That's what today is about. As Pastor Kenny said, this is winding up a four-part series to focus on the core doctrines of our faith beginning with his sermon on God, in which he did point us to Christ. And then Matthew Moore preached on man and pointed us to Christ. And Pastor Kenny last week preached on sin in order to point us to Christ. And today we have the culmination of this series. Let's pray for God's help to see the one who's able to save us to the uttermost. 
God, we praise you that you've made yourself known to us through Christ. We praise you that we have a hope. We praise you that we have a promise. We praise you that we have a rock. And now I pray that in these moments together this morning, you would cause the dim mirror to brighten a bit. That we might see you as we prepare to see you one day face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we saw the first part of Genesis 3, the temptation and dialogue between the woman and the serpent, followed by the dialogue between the Lord God and the man, in which the man blames the woman, and then God turns to the woman and asks, what have you done? To which she replies, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then God pronounces his judgment. We, we should note that God is not confused. He doesn't need more information. He's not trying to find out. What, it's not like a parent who walks into the kitchen when, when he's been gone for 30 minutes and, it's, and the flour is everywhere. What he, when he says, what happened, what have you done? He knows exactly what's happened. He knows exactly what they've done. This is the context from which he will pronounce his judgment. And so he goes right to it. And he says, first to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is our introduction into the gospel message. It might not seem like it. It seems heavy. It is heavy. It seems dramatic. It is dramatic. It's, it's full of judgment. It's also full of hope. It is the hope from which the gospel message expands throughout the rest of history. It's the hope that Noah looked to. Why did he build that boat? Because the seed of the woman would crush the serpent. Why did Abraham walk by faith? Because the seed of the woman would crush the serpent. Why did Moses lead the people out of Egypt because the seed of the woman would crush the serpent. We know from Genesis 3 that we have an enemy who seeks our destruction. This enemy is also God's enemy. We know that our enemy is cursed. We know that all peoples everywhere at all times are affected by the attack of our enemy. And we have this blessed hope that there is one coming who will defeat our enemy decisively. This is the beginning, the introduction to the gospel message. This is the gospel from which all is built, from which all flows. And therefore, John said in 1 John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And Paul said in Romans 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Because Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. It's all tied together. And so we look back and we see all of it. But at this point, looking forward, this is what, this was the hope, even in the curse, even in the judgment 
for Adam and Eve that they would walk the rest of their lives. This is the hope for all of God's people who trusted God through all of history. This is the hope. So today we're looking at who is this person? Who is this person? Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. Jesus being his personal name. The Christ being his title. I had a professor one time who he, he emphasized, he preferred that we, that we would not say Jesus is the Christ, but that the Christ is Jesus. This Messiah, this person is, who is this person? It's that person, Jesus. That's the person of who we speak. And so today, to look at this person who's able to save to the uttermost, we'll look at two, two areas. One is, who is he? And what has he done? And then there's a bonus section. So, so I hope you have a little anticipation about that. Who is he and what has he done? The person of Christ. Who is he? These are things that most of us know and have known for a long time. But it is the gift that keeps giving. It's the hope that keeps us hoping. It's the joy that keeps us joyful. We revisit, we rehearse, we say it again and again. It is my privilege this morning to preach the glories of Christ. And I pray that your heart is drawn up into that glory this morning. Who is this person? He is God. He's one with the Father and the Spirit, lacking nothing, perfect in joy. John says that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. When John says the beginning, he doesn't mean a starting point for which there was something before. He means the eternal beginning. They never actually have started because always was beginning. And the Word is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's who this Jesus is, this one who will crush Satan. He's eternally God. There was never, I remember the first time I heard this, I had to like write it out. There was never a time when Jesus wasn't. He's eternally God. He was not created. He said in John 8 to the Jews, truly I say to you before Abraham was, I am. For this blasphemy, they sought to kill him. Because he was claiming to be God. John 17, 5, And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus is eternally God, one with the Father and the Spirit. John 14, 9, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is not unclear. This is straightforward. This is gloriously simple and mysterious and complex and eternal. Who is this person of Christ? He's the Son of God and God the Son. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, under the law. He's God the Son. He's the Son of God. Who is this person, this Christ, this Jesus? He's the glory of God. Hebrews 1.3, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. It's as if the, the, the writer of Hebrews was laboring to make it as clear as possible 
When, when, lay, when we would ask, who is this Jesus? He's the radiance of the glory of God. If Jesus isn't God, this is blasphemy. He's the radiance of the glory of God. He's the one who shines forth and displays God. And he's the exact imprint, the exact imprint of his nature. He's the head of the church. Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. He was, he's the head of God's people. For Adam and Eve in that moment, he's their Lord. He's the Lord of Noah. He's the Lord of Abraham. He's the Lord of Moses. He's the Lord of all the judges and the prophets. He's the Lord of David. And now he's our Lord. He's the head of our church. Just to be clear, Pastor Kenny is not the head of our church. He doesn't think he's the head of our church. You go tell him, hey, you're the head of our church. He will run from you. <laughs> he'll put his fingers in his ears and he'll go, la, 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 la. Do not say that to me. We have a head. Jesus is the head of our church. He's the head of this church. He's our great head. And he's been the head of God's people for all time. This Christ, this Jesus, became a human. He took on flesh. He became man. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Why? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. This is an important theological point. Jesus was not always human. There's a point in time when he became human. One person, God nature, took on a second nature, human nature. Philippians 2, 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. That's who this Jesus is. He was born of the Virgin Mary, a unique miracle birth. No one's ever been born like this. And here's maybe the most important part about that is that Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus was born as a human without a sinful nature. Parenthesis. Jesus did not become human when he was born. He was a human in the womb. Just like you did not become a human when you were born. You were a human in the womb. Just like every baby is a human. We see our beautiful mothers walking around with these children in their womb, and we know <laughs> there's, a, there's a person in there. And those little beautiful people are little beautiful sinners, they have sinful nature. They're born with a sinful nature. Jesus is a human in Mary's womb with no sinful nature. Because his mission, which we'll get to. Born of the Virgin Mary, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin. Jesus never knew sin. 
He is the supreme one from which every ideal is derived. Beauty, he's the most beautiful. Joy, he's the most joyful. Love, he is love. Righteousness, he is righteous. Justice, he is justice. Mercy, he is mercy. Truth, he is the truth. Worthy, none is more worthy. Glorious, he is glorious. He is that from which everything is derived. Hear me on this. There is no universal, empty, or objective standard, I should say, to which Jesus conforms. There's no idea of love, and then Jesus conforms to it. He is love. Love conforms to him. Love flows from him. If you see something merciful, it reflects Jesus, not the other way around. It's important to get that. That might be a little confusing. Just think, what's the highest thing? The Greeks would say that there's this philosophical idea, ideal. Jesus is the ideal. There is no love without Jesus. There's no mercy without Jesus. There's no justice without Jesus. He is justice. And from him we can derive and understand justice, not the other way around. I'm going to move on to what he's done And I would imagine some of you are thinking right now, but what about? Man, I'm feeling you. I almost called Kenny. Can I have one more week? (laughs) What about that he's prophet? What about that he's priest? What about that he's king of kings and lord of lords? What about that he's the reconciler and he's the healer and he's the sustainer of everything and he's the way and the truth and the life and he's the triumphant conqueror and he's the light of the world and he's the justifier and the sanctifier and the glorifier? That's right. That's right. Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him. And we just don't have enough time to keep talking about who he is. We'll never quit talking about who he is forever and ever and ever. So what has he done? This is who he is. What has he done? He created everything. We don't don't always think of that. Sometimes we forget, I think. But don't forget, he created everything. John 1, 3, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It's like one of these redundant, sometimes I'm reading the Bible and I kind of want to go, I get it, I get it. Like this redundancy. And I take it as, because you don't think, you forget about it, you you thick-headed guy. He created everything. Nothing was made that was made. There wasn't anything made that he didn't make. Understand that? It's very important. He's the creator. God created. Jesus is God. And the, the word of God wants us to see that the word of God is the, create, the creator. Colossians 1, 1.16. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, with the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. When you look at a beautiful sunset and you enjoy it, 
Remember, that's for him. The stars are for him. The galaxies are for him. It's all for him. And that one is able to save to the uttermost all those who draw near to him, near to God through him. He's the creator. Now, this, now what I would carefully call the centerpiece, <laughs> because God is so glorious and unable to be simply captured with some words by a person in a pulpit in the 21st century. But he has accomplished, he has accomplished salvation for all of his people from all of their sins forever. He has accomplished salvation for all of his people from all of their sins forever because he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. The accusation, and not only their sins, all of the accusations of the devil are moot and void. The threat of hell no longer hangs over us and the sting of death has been taken away. This salvation is eternal and it's to the uttermost. He's the savior of the world. 1 Timothy 1.15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of all full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Why did he come to save us? How did he do it? How did he do it? Well, he fulfilled the law of God in his perfect life and obedience. The law of God cannot be set aside. The law of God cannot be ignored. The law of God stands as the standard by which every person is judged. And the law of God is perfect. The standard by which we are all judged is perfect. And this perfection is not simple outward conformity. It's outward conformity, it's inward desire, it's hope, it's words, it's action, it's all that we do. We are called to conform to the image of our maker in every way, and we fail. We need someone to do it for us, someone to keep the law perfectly. Sometimes we skip over this part. This is a crucial part. Jesus Christ accomplished salvation by keeping the law of God perfectly. He never said anything he shouldn't say. He only said what was right. He never did anything contrary to the law of God. He only did right by the law of God. He never even wanted anything that was unholy. Everything of him, everything of his life, perfection, holiness. Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law. The law of God is perfect. The law of God is a gift. To receive the law of God is grace. Unless we stand judged by it on our own. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. What does that mean? To fulfill it, to be obedient to it, for our sake. He did not come to abolish it, but to fulfill it. How did he accomplish this salvation? He was tempted in every way that we are, but he never sinned. 
He was not sinful in his nature in the womb. And every other person is. And he did not sin as he lived his life. And every person does. But he was tempted in every way that we're tempted. When you're in the depth of temptation, when it seems overwhelming, when it seems dark and isolated, there is one who has been and is with you in that temptation. He does not leave us. He does not stand far off and say, when you get your act together, you can join me. He joins you in the temptation. He has been there in every way that we're tempted. He he was tempted. There's nothing that we experience that he cannot relate to, that he cannot love you in, that he cannot be with you and help you in. Nothing he hasn't seen. This is too ugly, Jesus. He knows. And he has prevailed, been victorious, walked in obedience in it so that you might be in him and see victory over sin. We do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4. How did he accomplish this salvation? He was murdered through crucifixion. It wasn't an accident. It was unjust and wrong. He was accused of things he didn't do. And he was murdered shamefully, unjustly. for us. We deserve that murder. We deserve that shame. We deserve that separation from God. And he stood in our place. He stood in our place and he died. In his death, the wrath of God towards all sin for all of his people throughout all time was poured out on him. The condemnation On him, Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, (laughs) with his wounds we are healed. You're healed by his wounds. The wounds had to happen. The wrath poured out. God is just. Sin is an eternal affront to the holy God. By his wounds, his wounds, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the inequity of us all. He died That means he atoned. His death stands as a substitute for his people. He died in our place, taking the full penalty for our sins, that we might live with him forever. Romans 8, 3. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh for us. This is for us 
2 Corinthians 5, 21, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become this princess. I could not say this, I don't think, unless I w- it was in the word of God. I might say he, that we might become people who could live in his house. We might become friends. You know the word. I'm going to say it. I'm going to let you fill it in. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, excuse me, for our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the? What? We're the righteous, the righteousness? That word is perfect, pure, holy. Not put on a Halloween costume and act like we're something we're not. Internally, whole Total transformation, we might become the righteousness of God. This is beyond glorious. He served, how did he accomplish his salvation? He served as our ransom and redeemed us. He set us free. Jesus offered his life as a ransom, Mark 10. Ransom and redeemed aren't exactly the same. You can... You could pay the ransom for a slave, and now you own that slave. So he paid our debt, redeemed, he freed us. He set us free. We were shackled and dead in our sin, unable to free ourselves. Picture a person in a deep, dark dungeon, shackled in every way, And picture that person as a corpse. Jesus gives us new life. He pays what the jailer requires. He sets us free. That's what he he has done. 2 Timothy 2.11, the saying is trustworthy. For if we died with him, we will also live with him. (laughs) Jesus accomplished the salvation and he was buried Jesus accomplished his salvation. He was raised from death to life. <laughs> I'm just laughing because like, this is why we spend all of Easter. I'm going to do this in like 90 seconds. You're looking at a frustrated person a bit. In his resurrection, he defeated all of our enemies. Like I had said, he, he defeats Satan. He defeats death. He defeats hell forever and ever and ever. We're, he's raised to newness of life. And those who are in Christ are raised with him. We are buried with him. We are died with him, buried with him, and we're raised with him. He accomplished our salvation by doing it. He did it. Salvation is in Jesus. We are united to Christ by faith in him. In him. It is not as if we're empowered, you know, like a superhero. Like, now you get to fly. Go out there and fly and do good things. No, no, no. In Christ. Only because we're in him. In him forever. Not forgiven. Go off on your own. Live a holy life. No, 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 no. Every single day. Every moment. All of, all of salvation. Being justified and now sanctified. In him. In him. In him. He was buried. He, was, he died. We're in him. He was buried. We're in him. Raised to new life in him. He accomplished the salvation for us. 
He ascended into the right, at the right hand of God. This is what he's done. Acts 1.9, and when they had said these things, they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of sight. I do think that's, sometimes I'm reading the Bible, and I, I think it's kind of a funny scene. They're just going like this. That's what I would do. That's Jesus. He just did, I'm going to wait right here. And these angels come up. Why are you guys looking up like that? This Jesus is coming again. He'll come, he's coming again. Well, I said there's a bonus section. And oh, gosh. I love, I love being in a church where we talk about this stuff all the time. We pray, we pray this stuff. We, we do devotions, we do this stuff. We encourage people, we encourage them with this. The gospel, the gospel hope. So it, to, to land the plane, what is he doing now? The last we heard, have an Acts at the beginning is he's, he goes up into the clouds. A lot we could say, I'm going to hit a few high points. Number one, what's he doing? He's upholding the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews 1, he's, as we said, he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The reason that this room doesn't fly into random chaos is because Jesus wills that those pews stay right there and that your bodies stay together. It's not random forces. It's the force of the word the word of his power. Your life is orchestrated, is contained, is protected, is ordained by the word of his power. He's exercising his sovereign rule over all so that everything that happens to you must turn out for your good. Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who have been called for those who love God, all things work together for good to those called according to his purpose. I'm going to put those together. He's upholding the universe by the word of his power and all things that happen must work out for your good. What a hope that is. What a promise that is. in the things that are being faced just by the people in this room. There's doctor's appointments coming and we don't know the diagnosis yet. There's mortgage payments due there's a conversation with a friend or a family member where it hasn't gone well. There's so much that is scary. you got to get in your cars and drive on these streets with maniacs out there. And the Lord upholds all of it by the word of his power. And all that happens is for your good. He's doing that right now. This Jesus who existed forever, who took on flesh, who died and was buried and rose again right now is working for your good. What else is he doing? He's preparing a place for you. John 14, in my father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. So in addition to, a, to every single subatomic particle in the universe that Jesus is upholding and orchestrating and, or, and rules over sovereign with a sovereign p- 
power through the priority of your good, he's also preparing a place for you. A specific place for you and for you and for you. And this is not a general, exclusive, a general idea. It is general in that it's all of his people. But it's, he's sovereign. He knows you. Brother, he knows you. Sister, he knows you. He's preparing a place for you and you and you. My wife and I were recently visiting my, our daughter in Florida. We stayed in a little Airbnb converted garage. And we walked across the big double lane highway. About not even a mile. And I was like, man, these houses are big. I call up on my little real estate app because there's one for sale. $15 million. I don't think if we all tried together we could buy that house. Do you know? Can you imagine what the Lord of the universe is preparing for you? And not only that, don't, don't, don't get confused. Like, I'm, I live in this South Minneapolis dump, but one day I'll have me a real nice bathroom. <laughs> That's not the point. The point is that where I am, you may be also. It isn't the point, isn't the, I, I, I would imagine, I would imagine God's place makes a $15 million house look like an outhouse. I would imagine, but it's not the point. The point is, he's the place. We get to be with him. This sovereign, glorious, the one who's the radiance of God's glory. The reason I'm preparing a place for you is so we can be together forever and ever. What else is he doing? He's interceding for you. Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. So the devil doesn't have a hold on you. More than that, he was raised and you with him, in him, who's at the right hand of God, who, who indeed is interceding for us. So while he's handling every subatomic particle in the universe, while he's preparing a place for all of his people, he speaks to the Father on your behalf. On your behalf, brother. On your behalf, sister. Can you imagine? And I don't know exactly what he says. But I know that he tells the Father that we belong to him. This one is ours. This one is righteous. This one belongs with us. He's doing that right now. What else is he doing? He's preparing to return. And when he returns, he will judge all of humanity. And he will separate all of humanity from those on his left to those on his right. And this judgment and separation will have nothing to do with the niceness of our clothes, with how we do our hair, with what ethnic group we identify with, our education, our bank account, who we know, it will only have to do with him. And to one, those on one side, he will say, depart from me, 
I never knew you. And to those on the other side, he will say, come in to the joy of our Father. He will receive all of his children, his brethren to himself. He will, here we go again. He will serve us forever. This Jesus, who is upholding the entire universe by the word of his power, who's preparing a place for all of his people that we might be with him, who's interceding for all of his children all the time, will call us to sit at his table and will serve us at the great banquet. And he will be worshipped forever. He will be worshipped forever. So brothers and sisters, (laughs) I asked Pastor Chuck if we could do something that I don't remember us ever doing before. Not a big deal. Don't get nervous. (laughs) Um, But uh, I don't think we, I don't remember that a time when we've sang the same song two weeks in a row to close a service. Um, Not that that's, you know, you know, you do things culturally. It's like, (gasps) the same song. Um, (laughs) But we were singing it last week and I just thought, I want to sing that. There's this strange impulse in us to just take a little credit, to look at, at each other and think, I'm just a little better than they are. Well, I've never fill in the blank. You know they struggle with fill in the blank. That's anti-gospel. The gospel says, I only deserve condemnation. I only deserve death. I only deserve hell forever. And it's by your grace alone that I'm saved. I believe as a gift. Faith is a gift. My heart was, was made alive. And then I believed, not the other way around. It's all of you. It's all of you. I have nothing. I, I don't have any morality. Even my most holy works apart from you are like filthy rags. So the church, the people of God, we always remind ourselves of this. The creeping in of self-sufficiency. The creeping in. And so we remind ourselves all we have and all we need (laughs) is this Jesus. The Christ is Jesus. And he's all that we have. Let's pray. God, we praise you. You've made yourself known to us. You've shown us in your word from the very beginning. The seed of the woman. The one who would come forth. The one who would take on flesh. The one born of Mary. Would defeat our enemies forever and ever. And our hope For salvation is only Christ. And our hope to walk daily in this fallen world is only Christ. And our hope to love one another is only Christ. And our hope in the final day when we stand before you with all people and you pronounce your judgment is only Christ. All we have is Christ. And so we glorify you. What else could we have? All other saviors are false. All we have is Christ, in Jesus' name.
Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720-13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.